Hello, hello. Welcome to the My Journey series. This is episode 10. It has been a while again. Apologies for that. Let's move on. If you have not caught up to episode 10, you have 9876543321 to catch up on. They are chronological. So if you've caught this episode and you're wondering what the hell is going on, it obviously goes in order. So you need to wind back to whatever you've missed. And if you're new to this, start at episode one. But um, we get straight into this one. Um, this is uh, this episode is, I guess, when shit started to get real for me off the court. Um, this is where some some issues arise slowly. It was this season. Um, we'll get to that shortly. But we finished last season or, or the last episode um, with the 0607 season, my second year in the NBA. This one is going to talk about uh, my 0708 season, which then feeds into an Olympic Games, which was in Beijing. But first and foremost, there's the off season. So I finished the, the season 0607 with a, with an injury that you know, if you listen to that episode, it wasn't really an injury. It, I, I could have played on it, so I didn't really have to rehab anything specifically. I just had to get a little bit stronger in, in, in the ankle and the and the calf and the foot, but it wasn't bothering me or anything. So took about a month off again, and then got back to Melbourne, and it was time to get nitty gritty with uh, with the old trainer Steve. Um, and this was the first off season that I I kind of had a proper structured off season. What I mean by that is. Before my rookie year, there was all the draft stuff. There was summer league, which then went into my NBA season, which then went into an off season with the World Championships, which then went straight into another NBA season. This was the first off season I had nothing, and we were done in April. We were obviously to make the playoffs, so we were done. So I had from April to October one to structure a proper training regime, getting stronger, all that kind of stuff, and that's what Steve, my trainer, used to froth at. He used to love putting those things together, and he was pretty good at it. I'm not going to lie, but. Off-seasons were crazy. At one point, he had me doing three days, which was, you know, beyond sensible. What I mean by three days was three sessions a day. Um, most Euro coaches and European teams do two-a-days. NBA teams do two-a-days for five days in training camp. He wanted me to do three-a-days basically for, for the whole off-season. And um, we, we started off with it and it wasn't an issue and, and I was I was just hammered after it. Um, and then he, he tweaked it to two-a-days, which, which is still hard enough, but he... You know, if I remember correctly, it was it was a lighter session in the morning with some sort of shooting, bit of conditioning, and then it was um, some sort of weights in, in in the midday, mid afternoon, and then at night it was it was a hardcore shooting session, a lot of shots up, so a lot to do. And I wasn't against the work; it just was nonsensical. I was I was in my car, you know, three separate times a day to get back and forward, and it you know. After a week of it, absolutely hammered. I think he realized that, that some of the workouts, you know, just so fatigued and, and hammered and the legs and everything. But um, I'm not sure if that was strategic by him that he just wanted to do a week or two of it because that's how long it lasted. And then he was going to turn it back just to test me out. And we got through it. But um, this was an off season that I put on a shitload of, uh, of muscle. I was still floating around 240 pounds, 245 pounds, maybe close to 250 at the end of the season. And which is what in kilos for your Aussies, it's, it's, it's one, 105, 110 ballpark. Um, and he wanted me to get bigger and stronger. These were the days of Shaquille O'Neal and Yao Ming and Dwight Howard and Pau Gasol and um, a lot of big bruises, Kendrick Perkins, Al Jefferson. So there was a lot of big brute. Um, it's not what we see today with the center position, lean, more long and skinnier guys, a little bit of strength there, but no, no big, strong mammoth human beings. So that's what it was back then. So he, you know, we lifted... 
I lifted like an animal that off season and 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 I, I got noticeably bigger. I, I felt very, very strong and was throwing weights around and, and all that, but I felt like I lost my agility a little bit with it. I, I felt felt like I got too bulky and a big strength of my game was a was a big man that had a quick first step, could turn and face, could go by guys, especially those slower bigs. So now I felt like I was trying to match their strength, but then it was taken away what I utilized and what was my strength, right? So anyhow, I went into that that season pretty heavy and just didn't feel like I was moving as freely. So my movement went out of the window, but I, I tell you what, I could I could put, put people in the basket. Um, I could back guys down and, and get them two or three feet from the basket and, and put the ball in the hole, but I just didn't feel like I had my mobility like usual. Another interesting thing I did this off season was got a stupid haircut. I had a rat's tail. So for those of you familiar and followed my career, you would you would have known I had a a bunch of stupid haircuts, as we do as young kids, and um, it's equivalent probably to today's, you know, um, what are they called, frohawk mullet things, whatever these kids are rocking, the, the latest football player wears, the superstar football player wears, like mine was a rat tail for some reason, and I had my big, long, buffy hair, and in the off-season, I just decided I'm going to shave my head, and then I just left the ratty at the back and, and got my um, girlfriend at the time to, to plait it and had some fun with it, like an idiot, and got a lot of shit for it, but... That was that. This was the infamous off-season of a, of a uh, contentious article that I did. Not like me to be you know, towing the line on things, but I did, a, I did an article. Look, I came back from that, that NBA season pretty bitter and disappointed about everything really. I, I thought you know, the NBA wasn't what I thought it was. It was very business-like, as I mentioned numerous times. A lot of fake people that you cannot trust. And it is what it is. I'm not, this isn't, disparaging the NBA. This is factual. You have to navigate that. You have to cope with the, the, the realization that a GM or a coach is going to tell you the best thing since sliced bread and trade you the next day. It's that cutthroat, right? But then the human element goes out of the window when you're you know, breaking bread with someone and then the next day they're like, oh, we, we'll move him for someone else if we can get someone better. So the friendships are really hollow. So that started to, I started to realize that and pick up on it. You know, you bring your hands in as a team, family first, family one, two, three, and then it's not family uh, for the most part, most teams. I mean, I was blessed to be on one in Golden State that really was that close, but I, I can tell you for a fact, 20, 25 out of the 30-odd teams don't have that chemistry and I was on one of those for the first, you know, seven, eight, nine years of my career. So anyhow, I did, I did an article. I was, I was, you know, talking freely with a journalist, probably my first first or second, mis- probably my second mistake with talking too openly to a journalist and I didn't realise he'd paint the article this way. I was just talking openly and... It was, um, I think it was labeled the bling, the article of bling bling, you know, because um, of some of my comments. And, and basically, uh, it was all it was an article that was talking about my, my first couple of years, how I felt, how I was homesick off the floor, trying to you know fit in um, in the NBA. And I just basically went at NBA culture a little bit. I said, you know, it wasn't two team first. And I did an article just chatting freely and openly about it. And it was probably, a, you know, 5% of the chat, but the, the article ended up being penned completely about that. So, you know, it sounded as though that's all I want to talk about and that's all that, you know, was was penned. But I talked about everything, you know, uh, having family visit, ups and downs of on court, off the court, a lot of the travel, none of that was in the article. So, yeah, I mean, that's just journalism 101 that you learn that he had something that was going to be very, very clickbaity and, and God bless him, he ran with it. Um, but... I said things along the lines of, um, you know, I didn't enjoy, you know, the hip hop crap. Um, now, uh, for those who don't know, I was big into hip hop and, and and even rap and R and B as a young fella in the '90s, um, and that was kind of my era of uh, that kind of music, where it was a bit more 
a bit less machining, if that makes sense, and you could understand a bit more of what was what was being said and whatnot. And that was kind of you know Tupac and all that. I was I was big in all that as a young fella, so it wasn't necessarily a a slide of the whole genre. It was a, it was a slide of the current um, hip hop and rap, which I still can't stand to this day. So I clipped hip hop and rap. I said, look, the stereotypes in the NBA are somewhat true. You know, there's a lot of girls around um, on the road. There's a lot of those distractions and some guys indulge, some guys don't, but that that's definitely true. The fancy cars, you know, that, that's all over the place. People spending money and flaunting it and or flossing as they say today. The, the ridiculous jewelry that I saw, I saw some crazy chains and necklaces with, you know, two, three hundred thousand dollars worth of diamonds on them. And I thought this was all pretty obvious and factual. It was it was kind of like I was shitting on all of it when I wasn't really shitting on it, I was just, I thought it was obvious this was part of the culture. So I got a lot of shit because NBA culture was then deemed to be black culture. So people then, you know, said, uh, do I have a problem with black people? <laughs> and do I have, you know, am I a racist? All that, kind of, all that kind of stuff that comes with it. And my point was I had teammates who were not American who were indulging the same thing. I, I definitely pinned it more towards NBA culture than, than specifically to a skin color. Now I can understand if you start talking about hip hop and rap and jewelry and fancy cars that you can kind of, you know, it does does definitely go more towards black culture, but that was never my point. And I'm not backtracking now by any means. I stand by what I said. And, and what I said was factual. Um, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. Like it's, it is a league where all those things are true. Um, now it's not supposed to be spoken about. That's the problem. And it was spoken about. So I got a bit of pushback with that. I think Eton Thomas penned an open letter to me, you know, all that kind of stuff. But no one, no one had actually followed up to to really have a, you know, get get deep into what I was talking about. They just saw it in print, and it looked like I just did an article about shit on the NBA and, and and black culture, quote unquote, which was never the case. It was I was shitting on NBA culture because um, it can be very, very poisonous and toxic. And if what I'm saying is not true, by all means, pick me up on it. But I'm pretty sure it is true because I was in I was in those locker rooms and those airplanes at that point for three years. I was going into my third year, and I saw it on a daily basis. I saw you know how toxic the culture could be. I saw how there were groups in locker rooms of two or three people that hated the other two or three players. And then I, I saw guys fighting for rebounds. I saw I'm going to put out there. I saw guys fighting for the same girls in nightclubs and guys certain girls seeing two or three guys on a team. I saw all that, right? So you know, for people to think that that was anything to do with race or anything to do with that, it's it's not the case, but it, it was the truth. So I'm, I'm going to stand by those comments, but if people want to take it down the path of, oh, you know, you were having a, having a shot at, um, you know, black culture, well, that's your, that's your opinion. In my opinion, I wasn't. I was having a shot at NBA culture. And like I said, there were people on my team in, in numerous years there and on opposing teams that I hung out with who were from overseas and indulged in the same thing. So that is what it is, but it caused a big stink. Look, some of my teammates... We're not too happy with me, uh, you know. I, I didn't realize how big it was until I, till I got back to training camp that year, and in the 0708 year, and I got the cold shoulder from a few of the guys. Um, not all. I think Desmond Mason was one that I had a chat to, and and he he kind of once we had a chat, understood where I was coming from. But he was like, as a veteran, he's like, young fellow, you can't, you know, you can't say that because people are going to take it take it one way, especially in this league. And I understood that. I definitely understood it, but. I also understood that I can't, I can't, um, you know, it's not my problem that if somebody, you know, interprets something the wrong way, even though I'm telling them it's not that way, it is what it is, right? If people are going to jump down that, 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 you know, jump the gun on that. I'm not going to continue to argue about it and try to say, oh no, I'm not that, I'm not that. If you, if you think I am that, all right, go for it, man. Like I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to lose sleep over it, but yeah, it definitely caused some problems. There were, there were a few players that, that definitely noticed the game in the cold shoulder and it was what it was. I, my, my whole thinking of it was like, is this any different to how it was last year anyway? Like our team was dysfunctional. Guys went together off the court anyway. Everyone did their own thing or there were little clicks, you know, three or four clicks within the team. So what was what, what, what difference was it? It's not like we're hanging out and breaking bread like some of the, the better teams that I've been on. So my, my whole, my whole uh, mindset around that was nothing's really lost. Like, yeah, it's a, and, and to be honest, it only lasted for a couple of weeks. You know, it was probably a week of training camp and then maybe a week of preseason. And then once once we got on the floor and battling other teams, I think guys kind of forgot about it and, and it didn't didn't last too too long. But like I said, it's it is what it is. I made those comments, I stand by them. The article was, was obviously penned to be a bit more controversial than it was. And that's that was my first foray into being careful to to what you say in the media. And that's the very reason I'm doing this podcast. Is is this is, you know, some of these podcasts are are an hour long, the basketball one's two hours long, you know, the In Conversation series, the My Journey series, and it just lets me talk and, and really give my point of view. If you grab a portion of what I just spoke about and put it in an article in print that now is being read and deciphered by someone else's brain and mind, there's all kinds of labels you could put on me. And I, and I get that, that's the landscape, but I just that's the reason I'm doing this podcast and doing podcasts because I can get my point of view out on different things without being clickbaited because you know what, if you grab a one minute clip out of this and print it, I can, I can then cite the other 15 minutes of, that, of, of what I just spoke about. And that, that's, that's the problem with the media today is they're gonna put what, what's, what's clickbaity out there. It's gonna be in the headline to clickbait you and drag you in to read it. And then it's, it's, it's gonna make things as controversial as possible. So people get right up, oh, you know, I'm gonna go, on, I'm gonna go online and, and tweet this guy, what an idiot. Oh, I can't believe he said that or, you know, and that's, that's the reality of, of, of what you deal with when you're in the spotlight. And, that's a pro, there's a pro, pros and cons with media and that's that's one of the cons you got to learn how to navigate it. So from there on, you know, you obviously learn, shit, I got to I got to be careful with how I, I can't I, I've always tried to be very very honest with media, but I grew to I grew to learn I got I got I got to word this differently because, you know, if I give a sentence and that sentence is bad, even though the next four sentences are like, "Oh, no, that makes sense now." They won't put the other four sentences in. That's just the reality of what we're dealing with. So that was that. That was interesting. Um, my first real foray into 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 journalism in the NBA and how you can get can get stung. And I don't think look, I don't think that journalists did anything that he did anything different from what he normally do. It's just it is it goes with the grain. They're, they're trying to sell papers and have eyeballs attached to headlines. So that was what it was. Real settled in in Milwaukee, as I said last last episode. Bought a house in a suburb called Mequon, which was about thirty minutes north of downtown. Um, I don't know if I mentioned in the last podcast, but get this. I bought an acre and a half, brand new home, five bedrooms, uh, basement, games room, all brand new for $1,090,000. Now, I'm not saying that to brag that I bought a million dollar home, but we circle forward 10, 15 odd years and what properties are going for, at least in Australia. Um, that property in Australia today, uh, if it was within 30 minutes of Sydney, Melbourne or Brisbane, uh, that size with that parcel of land, probably you're looking at seven, eight, nine, ten million, I'd assume, if not more. So, got a bargain of a home. Loved it. We were kind of out in the burbs, uh, close to some other small little towns. Cedarburg was north of Mequon. It was a, a town that was, you know, a little paved road and little mum and pop shop front stores. Awesome place um, to to live and and raise a family and. Uh, we lived in a little subdivision with about 20-odd houses. Charlie Bell was my neighbour. He was on the other side. He bought the biggest house in the in the area. So he had a very nice house, indoor pool and everything for Charlie Bell. So we'd go over there a little bit and, and hang out with uh, him. But that was all beautiful, like I said. 
indulged in um, snowmobiles and four-wheelers, um, had two huskies that we had, which which fit in very, very well with all the snow and everything like that. And I also bought and purchased a home in uh, Victoria at the time. So for myself, now I purchased my parents a home in, in Patterson Lakes, Victoria, and I also purchased myself a home in Patterson Lakes, Victoria. So that's where I was based in the off-season and that is why my um, practice facility was in a place called Carum Downs in Victoria, which was about a 10-minute drive from Patterson Lakes down the freeway, a nice, easy drive. And Patterson Lakes is one of the few areas in Melbourne, Victoria, where you can live on a canal that leads to the ocean. So you, a lot of people park their boats in the backyard, pull up to your house. Um, very nice area. It was very undervalued at that time. It's gone up a fair bit since then, but it is about 40 minutes from the city though, so a bit of a hike, but um, nonetheless a beautiful area. Let's get to some numbers. So I had a really good year numbers-wise. Um, average 14.3 points, 9.8 rebounds, 2.6 assists and 1.7 blocks, 51% from the field. Played 78 games that year, so still relatively healthy. Uh, I got missed four games with, with an odd knock here or there um, before they, you know, this was before the times of, of random rest periods for guys. They just tell you you're not playing tonight, we're going to rest you. But 78 games out of 72. Once again, we didn't make the playoffs. Larry Krasoviak, Probably about the midpoints of the season, we figured he was a lame duck coach. He signed a cheap, I think, two-year contract, and it was for, for not much at all. And what I mean by lame duck is when you've got a coach on a, on a low-term contract like that, very easy to fire, very easy to move on from, and, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, Michael Red led us with 22 a night. Mo Williams was 17 a night. We had no balance of flow. We had, you know, we were, we were herky-jerky um, offensively. I know Larry Kay was, was trying to put in the triangle at that, at that time, especially with me at the five to, to have a lot of back cuts and all of that. Michael Red and Mo were, were definitely more attuned to being isolated. Michael Red was great coming off pin downs, so he wasn't great in the triangle. He was great coming off pin downs, um, shooting that three ball, and Mo Williams was really good off the dribble to score, like just a scoring point guard. So to them, the, the triangle didn't make sense, but for me it did because it was it utilized my strength. So um, like I said, no balance, no no, no flow. Um, I felt like, yeah, Larry Kay was pretty much, knew he was done um, about 30 to 40 games in the season. We, we had a horrendous record. He, he pretty much knew. And with about, what was funny was in our practice facility at Milwaukee there, which was out in the Burbs. It was at an old, uh, an old, I think, now defunct Catholic school. Uh, we had a little facility there, and there was windows. So on the second floor around the court, there's uh, there was windows overlooking the the practice court, right? And that's where all offices were. And it was the old school windows that you could open, like at school, like you just kind of half open them. Anyway, like back then. You'd come to practice. If practice was at 10 a.m., you could get in at whatever time you want to get in to do some extra work or get some shots up or get taped, get get a massage, get physio, get in the weight room, whatever. But around about you know quarter to quarter to 10, 15 minutes before the practice is supposed to start, everyone's already on the court shooting and just starting to get warm. And the way it usually works is your coach comes down right on 10, right when you start, and you either go to the film room and watch some film or you get straight into practice. Right? It got so bad there that. Um, Larry Kay would just basically open the window and go, all right, guys, just get your, get your shots in with your, with your coaches, whoever your specific shooting coaches are, and we'll see you tomorrow. Because <laughs> the season was such a shit show that we, we didn't even bother practicing um, the last 20-odd games of the season. So that's when you knew shit was hitting the fan. Um, <laughs> I just remember just almost poke his head out of the window. All right, guys, just do what you got to do, and we'll see you tomorrow. And yeah, guys would get shots up and leave and it was it was yeah interesting in, in that aspect. He knew he was gone. He was probably pissed about that. And as far as us players, we knew we couldn't make the playoffs. So it was a dead rubber of a season that we had to move on from. Um, like I said, my numbers weren't, weren't, weren't horrible, pretty good numbers. Growth continued to go up. 
I started playing really well individually, uh, some big rebound nights, um, just starting to get comfortable out there. It was, it was coming together at both ends, especially defensively. I thought I, I really took a, a leap forward. Still not elite, but getting better defensively. Hey, I can block shots in this league, you know? I came out of the college basketball labeled as a defensive bust and all of a sudden I'm starting to block shots and figure things out. So that was all uh, that was all great and yeah, I was, I was just really, really excited that I started to, to you know, really put some some numbers up that were, I don't know, what, what I should have been as a number one pick, right? So that's how all that went. So we finished that season once again, fly home as soon as I could. So trainer Steve had been in and out as well during that season. Um, I'll break down how his relationship worked and, and how, how all that worked. But I was up for an extension that off season. So um, 2008 off season, there was an Olympics coming up in Beijing. I was also up for an extension. So I could do an extension with my own team. Could only negotiate with Milwaukee Bucks, no one else, but I could do an extension. So for those that aren't familiar with the way the NBA works, you can your home team gets dibs a year before you go to free agency to, to try and extend you and keep you there. So it kind of, it's supposed to be, the rule's supposed to be there to try and stop big clubs from coming in and poaching. Um, it gives your home club a, a year head start before anyone can talk to you. I think it's a pretty good rule uh, for the most part, especially off rookie deals. Um, and a lot of times players will ever rarely turn down that extension because there's a lot of risk, you know, you get hurt or, or things change, right? So so with the extension, I was going to take you through the numbers, how it all went. So we started talking, I can't remember when it was, um, would have been June, July, somewhere around there. And I, I was, you know, the boomers were starting training camp. So the, my agent was like, you cannot get on a court and play five on five until you sign this extension or until we know you're not signing it. We don't want to risk you getting hurt while you're in negotiations for that. They find out you're hurt and then they say, we're not going to extend you, we're just going to wait. And, um, I was still contracted for that following year. But this extension was going to kick in in two years. So it was a five-year deal that we ended up doing and it was kicking in two years' time. So if that makes sense. So we go back and forth. We had a number in mind and how do we get to a number? We look at other other, other bigs. Al Jefferson was one. There was a few other guys we looked at at the time, um, which I had you know, similar or not, similar numbers, if not better than um, overall, basically averaging a double-double. So you, you kind of look at them and say, well, he's making this much. We want roughly that. I think Bynum... Um, well, that might have been a bit later. Bynum came after me, but yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll compare it to big, similar to, to me. But end up, they they come out and offer. I was always around uh, five years, sixty million was kind of what what I thought was fair. I didn't want to go. My agent was like pushing, you know, maybe you can get we can get you to seventy. I said, look, I'm happy. He goes, what are you happy with? I said, look, five years, sixty, twelve, twelve million a year is something I never would have dreamed of. That's perfect for me. I think that's fair for both sides, looking at what our Jefferson got, looking at what other guys got. And they opened with, I think they opened with five years, uh, 50 million offer, which, which wasn't horrible, but it was a bit lower than, you know, so we opened with five five years, 75, and they're like, nah, it's preposterous, and, and then negotiations start, right? Um, we get to a point where they go, final offer, five years, 55 million, uh, 11 a year. And I said, you know what? I'll back myself. I'll just if you can't if you can't come up with the extra five, which is my min, I'll I'll just um, I'll back myself and go play another year or two, and then go to free agency. There was there was obviously a a lot of bees getting paid at that point in the NBA that year in the NBA. So I knew at minimum I'm going to get what they're offering, and I could I could up it even more. So they said, all right, cool. Well, that, that's it. That's all we're offering. So hang up. Um, and these are these are pretty stressful conversations, right? So you know I'm I'm mid workout. And my agent's like, whenever I call you, I don't care what you're doing, you need to answer. So it was about a week period of negotiations. So literally working out with Steve and 
hear the phone ring, have to stop the workout and go and answer it. And, and then so I said, look, to my agent, David, I said, my minimum is, is, is five years, 60, 12 a year. He goes, okay, that's your minimum. I mean, that, that's, that's, you'll take that if you get that. I said, yeah, I'll take that if I get that. And he goes, they're only offering 55. Let me see what I can do. So I don't hear from him for a day or two and I'm like, oh, there, there goes that. And then he calls. Um, I don't know if I was mid-workout or no, I was finished my workout. He calls and goes, congratulations, they're going to come up to five years, 60. And <laughs> being the asshole that I am, I go, no, nah, I don't want it anymore, man. I want, I want five years, 75 now. Like the fact they disrespected me and, and waited this long, I don't want that deal anymore. And it goes dead silent on the phone, dead silent. And he, after like five, five or six seconds, David's like, Andrew, uh, are, you, are you being serious? I said, yeah, man, this is bullshit. I'm not, I'm not tolerating this. And he's like, well, uh, well, you know, what, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, oh, I'm just joking, man, I'll take it. Thanks, man. And he's like, you, you know, you fucking asshole, you had me going. He tells a story still to this day because – I mean, he was still figuring out my personality of sarcasm and being a dick sometimes, and that was just one of them. But yeah, anyway, we we we, we agree in principle. So I still haven't worked out with the Boomers. They're in camp. Um, I can't get on the court yet. So now the next step is get on a plane as soon as possible, get over there, do the physical, sign the deal, and then I can get back to um, the next phase of my off-season, which was playing in the Olympics. So I basically fly over there by myself, get on a plane the next day, fly over there, uh, meet with Senator Cole, who was the um, Milwaukee Bucks owner at the time, former Senator of Wisconsin, mind you. Sign the deal, do the physical, everything gets ticked off. Great, happy days, uh, fly back to Australia. And then the bullshit somewhat starts because that, that, that thing is, you know, it's one of the highest paid athletes in Australia at current um, upon that signing, even though the Australian media had no idea. I wasn't making it for another two years. I was still on my rookie deal, but front page of the paper. Um, I really struggled with everyone knowing how much I earned. I mean, I just, you know, as a young fellow, I felt like a walking dollar sign at times. And, and that just goes with, you know, goes with the grain, goes with the game. Like it's, you know, everyone knows what you're earning. So you're like, is this guy talking to me because he wants to be friends? Is this a, an, an old friend that's popped up because of who I am or because I've just signed a contract for five years, 16, he saw it in the paper, or is he actually trying to be a friend and reminisce about the old times that like you ask all those questions, new family members pop up out of nowhere, all that stuff, right? So that, that you've heard those stories countless amounts of times. I don't have to bore you with them. Fly back to Australia and now we get to Steve, my trainer, right? So I had him on a, on a smaller contract at the time, which was equal to probably a part-time job, uh, a, a well-paid part-time job, mind you. It was roughly between forty dollars and $50,000 a year at the time. He'd only been with me on a pay packet from me uh, for a year or two. Now, I remember when he trained me as a kid, my dad paid him really good money, cash in hand, cash mate, cash, 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 to train me as a young fella and we, we didn't have a lot of money. So that was a lot for my father to do. So he was always compensated for his work. He, 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 was, never, he was never really doing freebies to, to an extent. He was always compensated for his work. And so anyway, he was on, yeah, he was on about 40 to 50K US um, at the time. My whole plan was I'm just gonna, he's part-time. So basically two to three months a year, four to five hours a day per week in the off season, we're training together on weekdays and maybe a Saturday morning. So he's probably putting in 20 hours odd work per week in the off season for me uh, around then. And then in season, he's basically not doing much at all. Uh, he'd come to Milwaukee, say I, I had a little bad stint playing wise, I needed some mentorship, I needed some help. We, we'd, he'd fly, I'd fly him out for two weeks. We'd go and work out, we'd go and go, go to the facility at night outside of 
club organized sessions and, and get some extra work in. And it'd be maybe three blocks of two weeks per season. So that's another six weeks and that's it. The rest of the time, he was free to go and do whatever he wanted. He still trained kids at night. So not a lot of money in today's sense, but back then it was still still a decent salary. But my plan was always, I'm just going to tread water with this. And then remember, I had that facility that I was building. So this is another year on with that facility. It was getting nicer and nicer every every um, off season. I came home, I spruced it up, put you know padding on the walls, put new baskets up, put put a, a couple of extra baskets, put a curtain down that separated the weight room from this, and you know blah 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 blah. Made it nicer every year. I came back, you know, I don't like that. Let's fix that, and, and we fix it right. So my plan was that once that was fully firing, that he would run that thing full time. He'd still be my my full time trainer or part-time trainer, but I'm morphing into full-time, full-time salary. And it would have been a six-figure six figure deal to run a basketball academy. And then he would have had people under him that if he had to come and and, and fly to uh, the US for two or three weeks to see me, someone could still fun- have the, the academy be functional while he's gone. So kind of an assistant trainer to him. Um, that was kind of my plan. And I was new to all this, how to do it, employment agreements, insurance, blah, 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 blah. I had no idea, flying blind into all this shit, right? So that was my plan. And that was going to probably eventuate uh, probably would have eventuated either after the Olympics or the probably would have been the year after. It would have been the 08, 09, 09 off season when I would have offered him that deal. But I started, so yeah, 40 to 50K plus expenses, hitting paying expenses when he would come visit in, in the US. Doesn't pay for a meal. He's got accommodation at our house. Um, he's got a car to drive if he needs it. Doesn't pay for flights. Hung out with us, partied with us at times, whatever, rockstar lifestyle, like basically entourage style, but as a coach, right? So definitely definitely had some good times and, and he enjoyed coming over. I enjoyed having him there. But as I started to talk about, I want you to you know run the academy one day. What do you think about that? This, that. I was getting a feel that he didn't want to do it. I was getting a feel that I think he, 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 come, he became accustomed to the life of being an NBA trainer individually and a hanger on. And Because don't forget outside of the training times, he's still with us 24-7. We had nice restaurants after games. You're kind of, he's, he's, you know that training camp, I believe, with uh, with Larry Larry Kay's coach, they let him on the court, let him on the court to help rebound and whatnot. And so he was heavily involved in networking and meeting, you know, elite coaches in the NBA. So there were a lot of perks to his role in his job, a job that anyone would have wanted, right? And but the pay wasn't at a level where he's going to retire. Um, he had a, he had a, he had a family, a wife, and a young young child, and I was aware of that. Wife worked, and that's why I was like, you know. I'm looking towards the academy for you and six figures and you can live comfortably and all that kind of stuff. And But I got to feel like he didn't really want to do it, right? So when I signed my extension, I decided that, look, I'm going to do something for, I was thinking about on the plane ride over, plane ride back, what can I do for Steve um, as a thank you, you know, no strings attached. So the cars that he drove were beat up, $1,000, barely roadworthy cars like Rust, you know, not 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 good cars, right? So I go, I'm gonna go buy, I'm gonna go buy him a nice, nice Holden, just a Holden Commodore, Holden. I believe it was a Holden Calais. I'll buy him a nice Holden Calais, forty fifty grand. Uh, I had a friend of mine um, at a dealer got us a deal on it, and then I remember picking it up and getting it dropped off, and you know, come outside, I got something for you. It comes outside, and and you know, he's like, oh, that's great, thank you, really appreciate it. But he he didn't really seem overly excited by it. He, he, he was like, you know, oh, it's great, thank you. Leading up to me getting in that car, he was somewhat dropping little one-liners about he just bought a house and I think he overcapitalized on it. Oh, I'm struggling financially and throwing little things out like that every now and then. Right? I don't know if I can be your trainer anymore. Like, you know, we, I just can't do it. I might have to get a full-time job. But just throwing that kind of stuff out. And I was aware of it and I was like, let me see – 
let me play a little bit of game here and see see what happens. See what happens. See what he's gonna what he's gonna do. Whether he's gonna do something silly. Whether whether he goes and gets another job. You know, makes and make and calls calls my bluff and makes me sign him for for you know makes me contract him now instead of a year time. Right. So he was kind of prodding and prepping me before I signed my contract. Right. So we get back and like I said, I buy him a car and I thought it was a very nice gesture. And literally within a day of me buying that fucking car for him, he goes to me, hey man, I'm going to have to sell the car because I, I need the money for the house or I need the money to live or whatever, right? And I'm like, I knew that wasn't the case. Like his wife worked, they weren't, they weren't struggling like that. I know for a fact they weren't, but it was, it was all a game to see you know, what he can do, what he, you know, get his value up. It's a negotiation somewhat that he's starting to have with these little jabs. And, and he knew that... He was valuable to me in my times of need and that's what fucking pissed me off is he played on that. He knew that when I was having a bad two, three-week run in the NBA, I would call him on the phone, bring him over. He'd kind of, we'd go do some work. He'd give me some stern words and pump me back up and back on the plane he went, I'd start playing good again. So he knew he had he had a chess piece in the game, a valuable chess piece. So he, he knew Andrew needs me. Like he needs me so I can I can kind of play this play this a little bit and get my value up, which is part of the negotiation. Just be honest about it, right? Don't don't throw out the one-liners and don't tell me you're going to sell a car the, the day after I I buy it for you as a nice gesture. And I just basically said, look, that's what you want to do. I'm not going to stop you doing it. But I said, just be patient, man. We're gonna we're gonna set up this academy. We're gonna get things right. We're gonna set up something in Melbourne that hadn't to that point been set up like the way I was planning to set it up. Um, like we see all these academies these days, but this was going to be set up proper. And I still, like I said outside of the relationship we had off the court had ended, which we'll get to eventually. He's a very good trainer, um, very, very good basketball trainer, especially for young um, young kids to teenage, you know, that, that 11, 12 to, to 16, 17, fantastic, really, really good. And, you know, I knew that he'd be one of the best in Australia as far as development and getting things out of kids and he was really good there. So that all went on. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to hold off on offering the contract you know, for a year or two, like I said, it was, I was planning on doing it in 09. Let's get through another year in the NBA. And then I signed that extension. So the heat started to get on a little bit more. The heat started to get on a little bit more and I decided to just let it play out. Like I said, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a true believer in if you make people wait long enough for something they think they're entitled to, they're going to do something stupid. Um, they're going to do something silly. And that goes in all walks of life. That's my tip to you people out there, whether it goes business, family, friends, if you you know you make people really have to earn something that they think they're entitled to, and make them wait a little bit longer, one day longer than they think they have to wait, sometimes they'll they'll show their true colours. Unfortunately, that's that's human nature. So we'll get to that a little bit later and finish that. It's a nice little clickbait tease for you. We'll get to that probably in the next episode because it it kicks in after the Olympics <laughs> at a greater level. The next mission was the Olympics, so we have a few training camps. Oh, let me mention this to you. Let me mention this to you. So we go to some boomers camps. <laughs> Just triggered this. This wasn't on my run sheet. We go to a few boomers camps. One was on the Gold Coast. Brian Gorgian was the head coach. We used to go train at the Southport School, two-a-days, and they let Steve be involved with those sessions as well. So once again, another perk of the job. First name base was Brian Gorgian. You all the players, they said, we're happy to have you around because you know we used to do some extra sessions outside of the national team, um, whether we go an hour earlier, an hour later, get some shots up, stretch, all that kind of stuff. And and he would he would uh, watch sessions and then you know critique my sessions. Hey, you did this on this move. Hey, you're struggling with this. You get whatever, right? Which is great. That's what I wanted. Uh, that's why I had him there. Um, even if he wasn't allowed on the court, which wasn't unnegotiable for me, it was very nice of the Boomers to allow that. Just sitting in the stands, I wanted him to 
you know, dissect what's going on and things we can work on. Like, hey, you know, that hook shot's kind of, you know, blah, blah, blah. We need to tweak that in the training session the next day. So anyway, we're, uh, we're walking from a restaurant one night, mid-camp, and <laughs> there's a group of uh, young, intoxicated guys and – I guess they say they're walking behind me and I'm seven foot tall and, you know, unfortunately there's people out there that think they're comedians with tall people. I've been through that a million times and they'll throw little, you know, jibes at you that you can kind of half hear and this and that and look at that tall bastard, blah, 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 blah. That, you know, some of it's larrikinism, some of it's trying to make you feel like shit, some of them's trying to make you, you know, they might be small and they, they feel like shit so they're trying to be known themselves to their friends, whatever the reason, right, and they kept going and going and going. And I turned around and I was like, dude, like, that's enough, man. Just just get on with your night. You know, a few profanities laced in there. Just get on with your night, piss off, just keep it moving. And it went back and forth, back and they said a few things. And then Steve, my trainer, just basically one guy thrown up to him and he just open hand slapped this man. Like you see the the Will Smith, Chris Rock slap. This was nothing on that. This thing floored the guy, floored him. So I'm like, okay, here we go. It's about to kick off. There's three or four of them, two of us. So they start running it at him um, and he's swinging and he gets he gets clocked. A guy who runs in from the side tries to clock him. I grab that guy by the throat in just like a, a straight arm choke hold, um, hand around his throat, straight arm though, right? And it's like something from a cartoon character. This dude's like swinging at me, but he can't reach me because my my uh, wingspan. And that's generally what I did in most scuffles uh, that I ever got in. I would just try to keep guys at bay and I'm like, mate, calm down, calm down, calm down. He had a bottle in his hand, Jim Bean bottle or something. I was just worried about, I was just looking at his hand like this guy's going to try to bottle me. I'm like, calm down. He's like, get your mate off our mate, get your mate off our mate. And then I guess the third or fourth guy ran in from the side and clocked Steve, <laughs> like literally clocked him from the side. And then it all kind of broke, you know, the scuffle kind of broke down and then they, they ran off and ended up having a massive shiner, eye closed over and then still had to be part of the training camp, right? So... <laughs> So we get we get to training the next day. Everyone's like, "What? What the hell happened to you?" And he's like, "Oh, you know, tripped and fell. Blah 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 blah." It wasn't the case. The reason why I bring this up was some of that. I think was uh, I wouldn't say it was planned, but it was done in a way that it was like, "Look what I what I what I, this this is mind you, in the, right in the midst of our negotiation about you know long term contract all that kind of stuff. Look what I did for you. Look what I would do for you." I think there was some of that psychologically in this, and you might think I'm crazy. But when I get to the crux of this, you understand why. I think there was a portion of it that was like, I'm going to defend him, but I'm also going to show him. I've always got his back. You have to you have to pay me. I've always got your back. I think that was more the motivation than just like, hey, these guys are being dickheads. I'm going to crack them. So just a small little note with that. But anyhow, we then move on to the Olympics. I couldn't do all the camp, so I was kind of a little bit behind the A-ball, caught up pretty quickly. We had we had a, we didn't have a great Olympics uh, by any means. We, we, we had a pretty pretty shitty group or a tough group. So it wasn't, was not a, an easy group to get out of. So our group, unfortunately, was uh, Lithuania, Argentina, Croatia. So just those three teams alone, you're like, oh shit, us, Australia, Russia and Iran. We opened the tournament versus uh, Croatia and they smack us, 97-82. I played like shit, played horrible. We weren't in the game from the start. We're down by 20 at halftime and just never really got back in the game. They, they punched us in the face straight away. Then we play Argentina, who I believe they won or well, they came runners up or top four in 2006 Worlds. I think they won the 2004 Olympic Games. 
I might, I might stand uh, corrected, but I believe that's they were a top two, top three team. They punched us by a fair bit, 85 to, to 68. Didn't play that well. Paddy Mills had a coming out party that night, put his name on the map for the first time to, to people out in Australia, 22 points, played very, very well. So we're on two at this point. We're like, holy shit. We, we knew we had to get one of those two games to try and get top three because that crossover pool was the US and the US pool, um, unfortunately, we knew that they were going to finish one and you know they ended up finishing one. So we're trying to avoid four at all costs because one plays four, two plays three in the crossovers. So we're 0-2 and now we're like, oh my God, we need to we need to get some wins on the board here, otherwise we're in some trouble. So we we get a run, third game of the tournament, and we smacked them. They they weren't very good. Uh, we beat them 106 to 68. So we knew we were gonna get that one. Uh, game four for us was very, very important. It was Russia. So we knew that fourth spot was gonna be out of us and Russia for the most part. Lithuania were were four and at that point, so they were top of the table. And we knew that even if we beat them the last game, it wouldn't change much for Lithuania and us. So we knew if we lose to Russia, we're, we're, we're out of the top eight. We're not going to the next round. So um, this is my best game of the tournament. I had 22 and eight, um, played really well. And we absolutely punched Russia 95 to 80. So now we're two and two, salvageable. We've got, we've got a chance. But we knew game five was against Lithuania and the game didn't matter. The game did not matter. Like we, we could have lost that and finished uh, two and three. And even if Russia tied with us two and three in the fifth spot, we would have had the head-to-head. So we, we locked up fourth and we couldn't really move up any more than that because Croatia had the head-to-head with us and so did Argentina. So, and Lithuania were clear number one. But, but we ended up punching Lithuania, so I'm not sure if they were really somewhat trying to win that game, but we, we played really well. I had another really good game that, that game at 23 and, and played pretty well. And 106 to 75, absolutely punched them. Three ball was rolling for bogeys in that tournament. Um, I think I was top three in three-point field goal percentage. Believe it or not, I shot the piss out of it, shot it really well. And anyway, we we get what we were trying to avoid. We get the US in the first round of the quarterfinals. They absolutely destroy us, 116 to uh, 85. They punch us. We were kind of in the game early, 25-24 in the first quarter, and then down by 11 at halftime, and then third quarter they just annihilated us. I did my ankle really bad. You know, turned it on a 180, blew up straight away. I was out of the game pretty much in the first half and the game was pretty much over at that point. So disappointed that, you know, look, we, we at that phase of Boomer's culture, there was no one that had a belief that we would even come close to being in the United States. This was the infamous Redeem team. Kobe Bryant, top scorer of 25. They had LeBron James, T. Williams, um, Dwayne Wade, Chris Paul. The list is endless. They were a tough team, very athletic, and they were they were the old school US team that would meet you at half court defensively and just create so much havoc with their turnovers. So um, yeah, they 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 ended up knocking us out, and it was all she wrote. We were, we were out of there, and you know we weren't we weren't a, we were kind of an unknown still on that team. We didn't have a lot of a lot of known names. I mean, myself and Chris Anstey were, were the bigger names. Patty Mills was unknown at that point. Um, still with St Mary's. Joe Ingles was unknown, you know, South Dragons. He made that team. Brad Newley was around. CJ Bruton was there. Dave Barlow, Mark Worthington, Glenn Savile. David Anderson had a great career in Europe, came back and, and performed pretty well. Matt Nielsen and, and Sean Reddidge was the, the team that made up the Boomers. Uh, head coach was Brian Gorge and assistants, Brendan Joyce and Gordon McLeod. But it was, yeah, we, we, I guess a top eight finish for us was really a, somewhat a success. Um, it was a disappointment that we got fourth. So a top eight finish with a legitimate chance to win a quarterfinal. So we would have crossed over maybe against somebody else. We probably had more of a chance and would have been a bit more happier. But the fact that we 
we just squandered those first two games against Croatia and, and uh, Argentina and, and in the Olympics and a world championship. It's kind of changed now a little bit, but if you, if you start off poorly, very, very hard to recover. And even if you do, you're crossing over against the best team in the other group. So this basically finishes this episode of the My Journey podcast. Um, like I said, so the Olympics finish and it, it basically um, has me flying back to the US for scans of my ankle, most importantly. Um, nothing came up too sinister. Um, they just said you need a couple of weeks off it and then start a rehab protocol. It shouldn't be out longer than a month. So I was ready for training camp, wasn't a problem. Fly back to Australia, do my rehab, and then heading back over to the US would be myself and Steve. Um, Steve came to every training camp because like I said, he'd sit in the stands and take notes and whatnot. And funnily enough, we just hired a a new head coach in Scott Skiles, the notorious Scott Skiles, just coming on from the, the Chicago Bulls, a hard-nosed, no-nonsense type of guy. Heard a lot about him, uh, the kind of coach that your, your, your bum tightens up a little bit when he's in the room because he's, he's no-nonsense. So I was looking forward to that and seeing him and getting ready for what would be my 2008-2009 NBA season with my fourth year um, with an extension that I just signed. So that's where we'll kick off next episode and – Shit's about to hit the fan. So stay tuned for that next episode. I'll start writing that in the next couple of weeks and, and get it up there. But um, appreciate everyone following the My Journey series. I know these take a while to get out sometimes, but do all my best and I hope you're, you're enjoying them. Maybe maybe I'll do a Q&A on the calling app regarding specifically the My Journey for those of you who followed it. So if you would like that, please let me know on the socials. Please share this. If you haven't caught up with all episodes, scroll up through all the other nonsense podcasts that I do along the way and find them my journey. I know some people specifically only listen to this one and thanks for the support. I appreciate that. And like I said, next episode is going to get real. Might get some some newspaper articles out of that next episode. I can tell you that much, but uh, thanks again and we will see you next time on the My Journey series.